I invite you to turn tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's found on page 1172. You'll notice the title tonight says the church that imitated. And the church that imitated what? For some reason, God got left off the title. So that's a kind of an important omission. Um, The church that imitated God is the title tonight. So that's what we're going to look at as the theme here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter, and then we're going to skip down in chapter 2 to verse 13 and um, read a few verses there. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we do not need, we, uh, we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then down at verse 13 of chapter 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And we'll end the reading of the word there tonight. Well, I thought tonight, uh, as I said, we're going to be in the month of May, uh, concluding our study in Joshua. But I thought tonight this would be a good follow-up to what we considered this morning and uh, to think a little bit about a church that is very much commended in the New Testament by our Lord. There, of course, are a lot of churches with a lot of problems in the New Testament, and I think we're used to hearing about those. It's remarkable when you uh, study the New Testament how many problems are in the church. How many challenges are in the church? And uh, how many churches had become sidetracked and forgotten the very mission uh, that the Lord had given to them? Sidetracked over things that we would, we, we, well, we shouldn't be surprised because we see these things today, but we would be somewhat surprised to see in a, in a first century context. Uh, you think of the church in Corinth, a church that had basically been uh, sucked into the attraction of the culture and worldliness that had compromised the entire ministry. 
So that the ministry of, of Jesus, the ministry of the cross, had been turned into something that was an embarrassment as they went for every other method under the sun to try to reach the culture. Uh, you think of Ephesus, where Jesus himself, when he is addressing the churches in Revelation, uh, he, he says that they were strong in their doctrinal commitments, but they were a church that had left their first love. You think of Philippi. A church that had all kinds of divisions and disputes. A good church, but a church that fell prey to divisions and fighting in the body. And then you think of Galatia. A church that had abandoned the gospel for going back to confidence in the law. These are are major epistles written to deal with all these problems that the churches face. And I think we might have the impression that the Lord is never really pleased with the church. That the Lord is always frustrated with the church. That the Lord is already ready to, always ready to rebuke the church. And that's why I think it's important to look at an epistle that is remarkable tonight. Uh, to look at this first chapter um, and stand back and ask the question, what kind of church pleases the Lord? What kind of church pleases the Lord? And what does that look like? Um. If you were to ask that question, what do you think pleases the Lord about the church of, the, of Jesus Christ? What would it be? What are those things that mark some, a church that would be pleasing to the Lord? And that's what makes the church in Thessalonica so remarkable. Um, we're used to the negatives. We forget the positives. And here's a great positive tonight for you. Here's an encouragement tonight of something that we should imitate. Something very important that's held out for us. This church has an outstanding commendation right at the beginning of this epistle. And it was meant to be a model for the churches. This church was meant to be an example to other churches. And that's what this chapter is, is showing to us. It could be summed up this way, that when a church receives the word of God, when a church receives the gospel in a way that pleases Christ, there are remarkable fruits in that place. Conversely, you might say, when the gospel's not being received, when the word of God is not being heard, there are all sorts of bad fruits that are going to show up. So my goal is that we would have this to be an example to imitate tonight. Uh, Imitation is a big theme in the New Testament, and particularly the things that we imitate uh, here, and we look at a church that we're called to imitate, others that we're called to imitate, it should be inspiring for us as the Escondido URC to think about What are the things that should most be put in place and things that we should be seeking for as a church? And the first thing Paul essentially does here is that he rehearses all the evidences among them that the gospel has had an effect. It's really an important thing to think about, isn't it? In other words, he states the powerful fruits that were resulting and coming out of This church in Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica itself was, uh, which makes the context rather interesting, was not an easy place to do, to do ministry. It was full of idolatry. Um, In fact, as it goes, Mount Olympus sat there in its view and the common tradition was that every time an earthquake happened, Zeus was shaking his curls. There's a lot of hostility in this place to the gospel. Paul faced it in this city. You remember from Acts 17, Paul himself was run out of this city 
There was such an uproar in the city over the gospel that a man named Jason and some of the church members were dragged out into the open in heavy persecution that followed, you'll remember. And Paul's writing to this this Gentile congregation and he's overwhelmed by the fruits in this place. He's essentially saying Christians in Thessalonica were overwhelmed as apostles. We talk about you. We are full of gratitude for you. You have blessed us. And we pray for you always. Because we've seen something in you. We've seen something unique in you. We've seen something powerful in you. I mean, he says it in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your, notice here, three things he says, work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a a remarkable um, sort of string of commendations there. Talk about encouraging. Three things that the missionaries saw. Three things that the apostles saw when they thought about the church in Thessalonica. We're overwhelmed by your work of faith, labor and love, and steadfastness of hope. There's what's happening in your, your church. When we talk about you, you know what dominates our discussions? We get around and we talk about the church. You know, we say, this is, this is just really a remarkable church, what's happened in that place. We're so impressed with this church. We're so impressed with what's happening among you. It makes us break out in prayer to thank God and pray for you all the more. Why? Because there's a work of faith there. Your faith, hope, and love are mentioned here and they're all connection, connected with actions. So he knows that this church believes, but he's taken by the fruits there are all sorts of works flow, flowing from you. We can stand back and look at you. And we're seeing what, what Calvin, when he talked about this church, he said, in this church, there was a rare energy. A rare energy that was showing itself powerfully in the members. A strange heat. An aroma diffusing that made us all stop and praise God. Now, I think the first thing you have to say is, you know, that is possible, isn't it? That's the one thing you want to encourage the church with. I know that most of the time we're always pointing out all the problems and we have to deal with that. But I think this is one to remember in the encouragements for you. This is most certainly a church that pleases God. And I believe that Paul is saying here that there was something in the heart of this church out of the good root of faith, as we talk about from the Heidelberg, that, that, that gripped us as apostles, he says. We see work happening, a rare energy of, of um, a work of faith. There's a cultivation of, think of this morning, love happening in the body. There are strenuous efforts of love in the church. The members are loving one another. There was real effort. There was real sacrifice. I remember reading a story of a church that had uh, years ago, really bad reputation in the community. And it was a church that did nothing but fight and splits and nothing but problems. And I've seen enough of those in the course of my time in the ministry. It, it, the pastor described something that happened in this church. 
Many in the church were sick of strife, and they responded to the Spirit under the preaching of the gospel. As a body, they began to act and look more like Christ. And he says, this is what happened. This is what we noticed in this church. Gossip died down. The gifts of the Spirit began to flourish. Deacons, he says, were sending flowers to the hospitalized and sick in the community. Hot mills were taken to chronically ill persons. The spirit of prayer and intercession began to overtake the prayer meetings. Visitors were impressed by a new attentiveness in Sunday worship services. One of them remarked, you know, before when I visited, everyone was just reading their bulletins or looking around, no engagement. The youth were disconnected. But now they listen like hungry people. The change is so mysterious, the author writes, it's frightening. You know, and I think you can say, this is why we should be a singing people. You know, it's a, one of the worst witnesses is actually when we're mumbling the words. Give your voices to the Lord. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Well, he says, you're enduring in hope, he says. Steadfastness in hope. So we've seen a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness in hope. I'll come back to that. Paul says something that I had to pause and think about a little bit here in verse 4. All of these things are happening you, happening in you of work of faith, labor of love, patience, or steadfastness in hope. Verse 4, it means that we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. Now, some of you have maybe been troubled over time by the doctrine of election, and you shouldn't be troubled by it. It's always meant to be one of the most encouraging teachings for the people of God to know that God has put his sovereign hand on you. Here's what he just said. I see God elected you. There's not many times it's said like this, but he's seeing what even the canons talk about are the fruits of election. And I can see God chose you. He even says this in 2 Thessalonians again to continue to say, from the beginning God chose you for salvation, but I see it. Your election is evident to me. Why? Because in your hearts I can see the burning labor of love. I can see the patience. I can see the endurance. It's some kind of rare heat that we don't see on the mission field as often as we'd like to see. So contrary to Ephesus leaving its first love, you know, or the church of Laodicea that was neither, I wish, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're so lukewarm, I'd rather vomit you out of my mouth. So this all invites the question. How did this come about? <laughs> That's the question. That's the million-dollar question of the text. You don't just, this just doesn't come about willy-nilly. There was something that happened to produce these fruits. If I ask you, what do you think produces this kind of church? What do you, what do you think? What would you answer? Well, we, we'd talk about life. Where does that come from? Well, he explains it for us, doesn't he, in verse 5. It's really a beautiful verse, 5 and 6. Something I think is so special for understanding um, 
a healthy church, good church. It says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What made this church abound to receive this kind of praise, this kind of commendation, these kind of fruits. It's how they receive the gospel. Verse 6, and some of the old translations don't even catch this. The, the ESV does a, does a good job here in, ca- in capturing this. But he says it so plainly, doesn't he? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's a, that's a remarkable statement. How does a church become an imitator of God? You know? How does a church become an imitator of God? Well, what was God's disposition to them? What was God like to them? Really, in the whole scheme of things, in the big picture, has God been hard on us? Or have we been hard on him? The language we get across the scripture for his body, his church, is that our God is eager and joyful to bring us the gospel. You ever thought that he's so beneficent, he is so wonderful, he's so gracious to his people. When he commissioned this gospel program, an agreement was made that he would give his son to us and his son would go through the excruciating death of the cross and that he would fulfill all righteousness for us. That gift is unfathomable to our minds. But that God did all of this. And that the Lord himself is eager to tell you about his son. The angels at Christ's birth. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ, a son, a savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And the angels break out into praise, singing in the heavens. The imagery we have in scripture, the ministry is God raises up all these runners, (laughs) runners who wake up early, who work hard in his word, who pray to him for help. He touches their hearts. He touches their lips, Isaiah 6. And he sends runners to you early, working and praying that you would hear the gospel of joy. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God says, here's my runners. I've touched their lips. I've sent them with the word. I put glad tidings in their mouth for you. I put gospel there. And Paul says, you 
imitated us and you imitated God. Well, if God was like this and his servants he filled with joy to bring good tidings to them, if the servants ran to them with good tidings, they imitated it all in receiving it. They received it. That's what verse 6 says. They receive the word. How so? You look at the next chapter in verse 13. For this reason we thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You were overjoyed to receive it. Not as a word from men. That's what skeptics do. That's what people who sit like this do. You received it as it is in truth the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. They're saying, we hear the voice of the Lord. They looked at him as God's sent one, the apostles, and they received that word and they heard good news. God so loved the world, a world fallen into this kind of misery that deserves judgment that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The mouths of their souls were open. The Thessalonian church imitated God as he published it to them. When you leave this service tonight, I get to put up my hands and say, the smiling face of the Lord be upon you. The smiling face of God. What pleased God was, what really pleased the Lord about this church was, that the people in Thessalonica receive this word with all readiness that way. That's exactly what Calvin said about this. The gospel cannot be received properly without a joyful heart. The gospel cannot be received properly without a joyful heart. Now what makes this such an encouragement to us is the context in which this happens. You know, we're tonight in a pretty comfortable position. Um, President Biden hasn't sent troops out there and said, if you walk in, you're, you know, you're going to go to jail. It'd be quite a bit harder to receive the gospel, you might think, if you were under severe trial. It'd be the worst kind of circumstance that you would think would challenge joy. Undoubtedly, no one here has had their life yet threatened for being a Christian. Could happen. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord Having received the word in what? In much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The church was under severe persecution for the gospel. Many of them had their wealth taken away. Many of them were fugitives. They were being heavily assaulted. False teachers were plaguing them from the inside. What Paul's observing is that not only did they receive the word, they received it in affliction, in the power and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's such a, a beautiful, beautiful thing that's being said here. In power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. This is the uniqueness of this church. It's the real power of the church. I was talking to someone this morning. I had a good discussion with them. They said, you know, I'd just like to see more of the Holy Spirit in this church. 
where are you going to see the Spirit? How are you going to see the Spirit? He mentions the Holy Spirit here. He mentions the Holy Spirit when the word is received in affliction. (laughs) Now, we might think the Holy Spirit is mentioned and would expect the Holy Spirit to be present in something greater, in something more powerful, in a better experience. Um, Here's where the Holy Spirit was shown to them. Here's where they received the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came in the midst of hardship and trial when they received the word with joy. That's evident of the Spirit. That's evidence of the Spirit. Again, Calvin, there's nothing more in conflict with our natural disposition than to rejoice in afflictions. That means the Holy Spirit is there working because they're rejoicing in afflictions. You don't do that by nature. When you have a church that's full of joy in the midst of trial, and this is in personal life too, when you can come and hear the word of God in all your trials and afflictions and receive it with joy, that's the Spirit working. That's a Spirit working in power. And you see, that's the greatest consequence here as he speaks of these fruits. He says in verse 7, you received the word readily with joy and hardships. And then he says this, and you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. All the churches are talking about you. Two things resulted from this. Readily receiving the word. Look at verse 9. For they, these churches, declare concerning us really fascinating for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God so so not only did they receive the word with joy and affliction but one of the crucial things the apostle says here is They boldly turn from idols in the culture. Idolatry is just as much a problem in 2023 in Escondido as it was in first century Thessalonica. First century. What does that look like? Sometimes I think we're so desperately trying to fit in and we so desperately want to be accepted by the world and even the broader church world that we think the sort of downgrade is the best answer and hide the convictions. What has that ever accomplished? (laughs) What has that ever accomplished? To stand against idolatry is to have a strong conviction about something. A lot of people can be on the right side of an issue, but they never fight for an issue. To stand against idolatry, to have a strong conviction is counterintuitive to what you think will work. Because then we think, if we just go with the flow, we'll be liked, we'll be accepted. The difference in what's commended here is that they turned from the idolatry. People saw that. People saw it. That's a church that makes a difference. When we're known as a people committed to the truth, unwavering in the truth, that's where the greatest witness happens. You understand that? When when we're committed to the truth, a, a church that is 
convicted in the truth, with people convicted in the truth, that doesn't make us cranky people. (laughs) That's usually what's said, right? Just a bunch of cranky people. No, we're not cranky. We're joyful. We're joyful in the gospel. But con- and conviction makes us joyful in the gospel. But we also care to worship the Lord and to turn ourselves from idols. Because idolatry is a problem. And that's the example here. He says, for from you, verse 8, such a beautiful thing. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we don't even need to say anything. <laughs> when, you know, somebody recently, you know, um, wrote somewhere recently, if God saw the church in America today, he'd be sending a letter. You know, he'd be sending a letter. <laughs> Paul saw the church today, he'd be sending a letter. This church doesn't nearly, he says, we don't even need to say anything after seeing all this. The members of this church, as they received the word with joy, couldn't help but speak the word of joy to others and turn from the idols that were profitless in the culture. Their witness as a church was so strong in a culture that bowed down to idolatry. Guess what was happening? Everyone in the community was recognizing something. They're recognizing their joy. They're recognizing the seriousness by which they received the word, and they see that they're turning from idols. That's a witness, whether it's liked or not. Their faith sounded out. Maybe one of the strongest witnesses we could have today would be our children who exhibit strong conviction in the truth right where they are. There's conviction. There's conviction in the Word. There's love for the Word. There's an understanding of what this costs to get us here. Notice how he closes this. It's because they knew this conflict, this struggle was soon to come to an end. They believe strongly. That's the steadfastness of hope aspect to this. They believe strongly. They lived in light of what was soon to come to pass. That's verse 10. It says, For they turned from idols to the living God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a goal in all this fight, and there's an end in all this fight. (laughs) There's an end in this struggle, and it's coming soon, and the church has to live in light of that. We've got a bigger thing that's about to happen. Jesus is going to come. He's going to return. And he is encouraging their steadfastness and hope as they receive the word. When the Lord looks at the Escondido URC, I see all kinds of good fruits here, but this needs to challenge us. Is this how we receive the word every week? With joy. And are the fruits, are we giving ourselves to these kind of fruits? I see all kinds of fruits here. But to think about this is important. A work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, a rare energy, as Calvin said, showing forth in your service here because you have imitated God in receiving the gospel that he ran to bring to you. That's a church that'll truly make a difference. That's a church that'll truly sound out in a community. It won't be what we think makes the church attractive that will ever make the church attractive. Trust me. 
It will be the church that is full of members who receive the word with joy, this implanted word that gives us life. A church that has this will sound out. A church like this will sound out. Full of life in the community where it resides. So I encourage you tonight, may we be at the Escondido URC humble and a church that continues to show forth in receiving this word, the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, as you eagerly wait for Christ to come and to give you what he promised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging us tonight in a powerful text and in a great commendation that you gave to this church. Pray that we would be here in this place imitators of God and that we would be filled with joy that we've been forgiven all of our sins. And that we have this kind of hope in front of us. So help us, O Lord, to be wise, to be joyful, and ourselves to turn from idols, to recognize what they are. That's often half the battle. To recognize those idols and then to be willing to stand against those idols. And may then our witness be strong for your glory. Whether it's received or not, may it be in this community strong for your glory. But we pray, O Lord, that many would see these kind of fruits here in this place and would recognize that our our faith sounds out. Many would say, we've got to go and hear what this is all about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.